I am Captain Matthew Gillespie of the Philadelphia Police Department's Southwest Detective Division, and this is Aftermath Philadelphia. In this podcast, we host critical conversations with those involved in reducing the epidemic of gun violence in the city of Philadelphia. This podcast features candid episodes that highlight different thoughts and perspectives while offering strategies to lower the violence. I'm very excited to sit down with Beth Grossman, the current program director for Scully Turco, a nonprofit organization that works in the city to help deal with blatant vacant properties. She's also the chairwoman of the Philadelphia Parking Authority, the former chief of staff to licenses and inspections, and spent 21 years in the district attorney's office of Philadelphia, spending most of her time in the public nuisance task force and dealing with the dangerous drug offenders unit. We sit down and we talk about quality of life issues and how they're connected to violence, the role that elected officials can play to help stop blight and improve conditions, block captains, and how they're effective in improving communities, and how nuisance business can hurt communities, but what the community members can do to combat this behavior. All right, everyone, welcome back. I always say that uh, on these episodes, this one is going to be um, a very interesting one. I want to thank Beth Grossman, Esquire, for being here. Beth? Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here at Southwest Detectives. And for those of you that don't know, Beth has dedicated, I mean, really years of your adult life to the city of Philadelphia. Beth, thank you. Um, 21 plus years at the district attorney's office. Um, Chief of Staff at LNI. That's correct. correct? Uh, chairperson of the board of the PPA, Philadelphia Parking Authority. Correct. Still, or is still, that, still, that's a new one. Okay. Yes. Um, we're going to get into your your current position as the program director of Sholi Turco, and, and we'll I will, talk, yeah, and I'll explain where the name came we'll from. Talk about that, but for those of you that don't know, I mean, best time the district attorney's office really came down to um, making the streets safer. Chief of the Nuisance Task Force. You worked in the, the Dangerous Drug Offenders Unit, Municipal Court, the SIU section, civil litigation. Thank you. Seriously, thank you. Well, I thank you and all your brothers and sisters on the police department, because as I always say, without thee, there would not have been me. It is definitely, it was definitely a partnership, um, and really just, uh, you know, it takes both, the police and the district attorney's office, to get things done. That's you know, correct. Make things make things safer for the city. It's like the beginning of law and order. There it are is. two parts, the criminal justice system, the but, police department, and the DA's office. And many people ask, speaking of that, do, do cases get solved in 45 minutes? No, they do not. <laughs> and I have never seen anybody confess on the stand as they were being cross-examined. So there are some technical uh, violations on that show. Correct. But, um, you know, there are... You know, this is a little bit off our subject, but there's a ton of police shows out there that really affect what people think, you know, we can do, which is funny. You know, it's a whole other episode, but being up in the detective division, I hear all the time people up here saying, well, how come that case, my robbery case or burglary case, you know, you can't get DNA back in 12 hours? No, it takes a long time. That's true. And I wish we had the technology for it, but we don't. You know, one of the things... You know, the, the goal of this podcast is to show, like, what the city, private, and public entities are doing uh, in terms of gun violence. One of the things that you're involved in is, and have been, is really the nuisance side 
you know, the quality of life stuff. So I'm, you know, the abandoned properties, the bar, the takeout beer delis, that, you know, problem behavior, fights, even shootings, littering, abandoned cars, things of that nature, and how that affects quality of life, the safety of residents, and maybe just if you could talk about how you kind of got into that section or into that field and, and what it means to you. Sure. In 2007, then District Attorney Lynn Abraham appointed me chief of the Public Nuisance Task Force Unit in the DA's office. And that was the unit that closed down drug properties, whether residential or business, um, nuisance bars, dangerous bars. Um, we formed partnerships with uh, LNI and the Pennsylvania State Police Bureau of Liquor Enforcement. Um, because when you have problem properties, even if it's one property on a block, it could bring down the whole tenor or atmosphere of the block, and it just spirals from there. So I fell in love with that work, mm -hmm. working with community groups all across the city, and I was so surprised, but I found my passion dealing with quality of life and public nuisance stuff to be outside of the courtroom, and it was, it was amazing. You know, one of the things that really touches me, I, I grew up in a city, I still live here, is when a business or a property pops up in a neighborhood that the neighbors didn't necessarily want or even know of, you know, that's a big thing. I, I was involved in community meetings where a business literally popped up overnight, residents didn't want it, and then all that behavior, hanging out all night, using drugs, selling drugs, urinating on the highway, fights, loud music, all of a sudden it's in a residential, <coughs> excuse me, neighborhood, and everyone's like, what do I do? And, you know, the standard answer is call 911, but what after that can someone do? Sure. Um, you know, if it's like a liquor-owned business um, where there's a liquor license, you know, we would always tell people to call 911, give them the exact address, as well as 311. Um, but there's also, you know, things that they can do, reach out to the Bureau of Liquor Control Enforcement. At the time, um, I don't know what they do now in the DA's office, but they could reach out to the Public Nuisance Task Force Unit and also reach out to maybe their council person, their constituent services, and ask to set up a meeting with the owner of the business. You know, I did that a lot of times where you get the owner of the business, um, L&I out, um, you know, the police captain, and talk about how that business and the owner can be a better neighbor. Yeah. And sometimes that was effective and sometimes not, but when they have to face those, you know, who are being negatively affected by it, um, sometimes they'll change their tune. You know, one of the things I want to say is, like, it's a time-consuming process. It doesn't happen overnight, changing behavior. You know, we saw a job, a video of a job where it was last week and it was in one of the districts. I don't want to give out too much information, but basically the police officers make a firearm arrest. There's an individual, he's behind the counter in a store. It, the officers thought that was suspicious. They go in to investigate. The person wouldn't come out. He didn't work there. He did have a gun on them. So we get the video. We asked the store for the video to kind of like cooperate the, the firearm charge so they can be successfully prosecuted. And what the video shows us is the store employee is also selling drugs. So we're like, no wonder that person felt more comfortable hiding back behind that counter. And it's right in a residential neighborhood. You know, you see actually kids go into that store when school's over, buying stuff. Um, and, and there's so much laws and, and permits and things you have to navigate. And it is frustrating. You know, I, I do agree with that. Now... Well, public, is there ever a time where somebody, you know, a public citizen would have to testify in any kind of hearing, either criminal 
or even a civil litigation type thing? Um, for civil litigation, it, it depends what type of case it is. For example, you know, we did forfeiture of properties for many years, and that was the type of thing where we only needed police officer testimony. Sometimes L and I, and that's fine. You know, I'm certainly aware of people's reluctance to testify, sure. especially with those who, who deal drugs or involved with other criminal activity. And I understand that. So if there was ever a way to avoid that, mm-hmm. uh, we certainly would. And then sometimes when we would have um, like civil injunction actions against nuisance bars, because it wasn't so centered around criminal stuff, um, people were more uh, comfortable coming in to testify. And when you would have, no matter what, if you could get community members to come in, city council folks and other agencies, that's a home run to either get a business closed down or have them, you know, operate, as I like to say, sort of under probation under a judge's watch, which would sometimes happen with nuisance bar actions. You know, one of the things that many people don't realize is, um, and this is because it was told to me, is that, you know, the elected officials have a role in it. They're the facilitators. You know, they're the ones that can really set up the meetings and, and, you know, push for uh, involvement from other agencies. Now, speaking of other agencies, you mentioned the Liquor Control Board. Can you really just explain to the audience what that is. Sure. Uh, There is an arm of the Pennsylvania State Police called the Bureau of Liquor Enforcement, and that is um, the agency that actually investigates bars. Are they operating correctly? Are they serving visibly intoxicated people? Are they properly licensed? Um, Are they serving top-shelf liquor when it's not Mm top-shelf liquor? Mm -hmm. Are there noise violations? Is there violent stuff? And it's been quite some time since I worked with them, but they're very very effective as, as well because you have to understand if somebody loses their liquor license, that's a valuable asset. Um, maybe around the time when I was in the DA's office, they were about $80,000 a piece. They might be far more in now in Philadelphia. And there's only a limited amount of liquor licenses that are uh, permitted as far as I know in Philadelphia. So basically, if there's behaviors that are, for lack of a better term, bad in, in bars, some of the repercussions can be the bar can lose its liquor license. Correct. Under the Pennsylvania Liquor Code, it was called a 611 action. And if we went in and we showed the judge all of these problems and what was going on, um, the bar could literally be padlocked a year. The license would be put in safekeeping, and there was no guarantee that the owner would get it back. You know, when I was in the 18th District, we had a situ- uh, an instance of that. It was uh, it was a bar in the district. It one in. It doesn't. I don't want to say where particularly, but. Uh, a lot of issues of gun violence. One was actually shooting at a police officer uh, there. The officer was not hurt, fortunately, but the LCB came in, L&I, uh, some elected officials stepped in, and they did just that. They padlocked the bar for, for almost 10 months. It had to change ownership, and the owner lost, I mean, I don't want to say millions, but, but more than hundreds of thousands of dollars. And uh, there hasn't been an issue with the bar now. Yeah, I remember we actually closed down a bar called the Corral Bar at 52nd and Market. It was kind mm-hmm. of the same thing where there were shootings and violence. And we ended up working it out where the owner was, I believe, allowed to sell or transfer the liquor license, but it could not be in the 16th, 18th, or 19th. It couldn't okay. be in Southwest, okay. you know. Okay. So that's very effective, um, you know, and uh, different agencies, DA's office, AG's office, um, they can bring those 611 actions as well. Now, you know, we always say this. I think everybody that's in this field knows you can't arrest yourself out of these issues. You know, you just can't. There's, there's, 
there's poverty issues, there's financial issues, there's educational issues. I always say it, though, there are some people that just need to go to jail. I mean, period. They just need to be off our streets. I got a text today from uh, someone uh, in the court system that somebody that was an agitator of violence just got sentenced to state prison. And this person got multiple opportunities and just could not help themselves and participate in violence, and they're off the street. But that being said, you know, how important is this side of the, the puzzle when it comes to keeping streets safe, in your opinion? You know? I think a lot of it has to do with blight. Um, You know, it's just such a simple thing because when things start to deteriorate on a block or a commercial corridor, it starts to catch on. Um, You know, it's almost like when you throw a stone into water and the the rings, you know, Mm -hmm. in the lake start to to spread out. And if you don't nip small things in the bud when they start, then it's going to grow. And when you start dealing with small quality of life issues or public nuisances, um, you really can keep them from growing. And it doesn't mean it has to result in an arrest or charging somebody. It might be, like as I said before, pulling a business owner in, having a meeting, um, and being like, look, you have built-in customers. Be respectful of them and you know, reach out to them and don't cater to those who are going to cause trouble. Cater yeah. to those who are law-abiding and, and want to and buy from you. Yeah. I mean, one of the... As you were talking, I was speaking of a business uh, on 52nd Street that it had several shootings. It opened up, popped up overnight, had several shootings, fights. The neighbors on the block that really good neighbors, good people, they're like the drug dealing is just literally overnight just shows up. So we go in and we're like trying to work with the owner. And to his, his credit, he did work with us. And what we found was his primary um, product that he was selling were the glass pipes for marijuana. Right. And it was like a magnet to attract those that were selling marijuana. Um, And I know there's all different kinds of information out there, and marijuana may or may not be, you know, should be legal. I'm not arguing that. What I'm saying is um, those that were selling the marijuana were all carrying guns. And the other group wanted that corner because they saw how profitable it was. The minute he removed all the pipes from his store, the individuals went away. Yeah, it's just small little tweaks like that. Um, For example, you know, when there's like one bad house on a block that seems like it's deteriorating, you know, and it's not for neighbors to always be their brother or sister's keeper, but, you know, like clean up, clean up the shrubbery, you know, clean up the trash in front of it, at least make it look lived in. It's little small things that a block captain can get a bunch of people to do. It doesn't need outside agencies Mm -hmm. or be creative or even like, you know, if you realize like, you know, there's no light on at night, just go to Home Depot where there's grants for this, get a stick on light that's solar powered because it'll at least make the the vacant property, if that's what it is, look lived in. You know what? And if if you don't know, that's Totally fine, because I don't know what city agencies are out there to give people these things. You know what I mean? I'm, sure. That's, I know there's private, there's private organizations. Yeah, that's the type of thing. And I, forgive me for not knowing. I should have come. You, you know, spot, you know that's okay, more prepared. But that's the type of thing I would maybe reach out to elected officials, okay. whether it's city council folk or state representatives, because they are fonts of information. I've come across some of the most amazing constituent services people yeah. in the, these offices. They're great, and they could point you out. But there's all kinds of, like— grants and programs out there that will assist with this. I, I do. I have to give a shout-out to State uh, Representative Joanna McClinton out on 60th Street. She does an excellent job. She's fabulous. 
the town watch program that the city runs is really good. I mean, I've been to their training. We've signed dozens of people up when I was in the 18th. Those are things, how you get people involved. Even we spoke earlier, your fave trash man. Yes. Uh, the, the former sanitation worker um, from uh, Instagram, for those of you that, that follow, he's outstanding. Yes. I mean, he's it's community-led, grass, you know, the grassroots stuff. The grassroots stuff is the best. And shout-out to block captains, because I have seen some block captains who are such phenomenal. fierce, phenomenal advocates for their residents on the block who really commit themselves. Not getting paid. It's time yeah. and effort and getting folks to take ownership. But when a block— you, when you could tell neighbors care about the block, mm-hmm. it makes such a difference. And I think that really diverts crime a lot because people take a look because it shows people are watching, people care, people are invested in this block. So shout out to block captains. No, absolutely. And, and you know, I, this might upset some people, but it, but it is the truth. I think that you can't fix the issues until you really are honest about what's going on. There's a lot of people that want to be involved, but they're scared. Because there's so much violence, or there's perceived so much violence right now, um, that's running the gamut all over the city of all races, um, and people are scared. You know? And that that makes me so sad. It really does because I always say, you know, your home is your castle, and you, you know you should feel safe there. Um, but if people want to get involved, it, it's something as simple as you know just cleaning up the trash on your block, yeah. or you know the house to the right or to the left of you. It doesn't mean you have to go call and become a confidential yeah. informant with the police or a witness. But even just straightening up and and just cleaning up a block or have like a block party where there's a contest. You know who has the best flowers or. Window boxes, Mm -hmm. simple small things like that, where you unite your neighbors together. It's very empowering, and you know, and it's not putting yourself at risk. I I get the other stuff for those who witness violent crimes, and it's just it's tough, and it's hard, and it's disheartening. It is, it is. I mean, I'm an optimist. I think the city is going to turn around. Um, We have some excellent police officers, excellent commanders. You know, there's a lot of people in city government, otherwise, that are, you know. Pulling out every every solution, option, idea that is that they can think of or nationally is being used, and I think uh, at some point we're really going to see that break and turn it turn it around. Um, but no, I, I just really wanted to hit on the, the quality of life stuff. I think that is so important, and you know we have an outstanding neighborhood services unit. Um, my very good friend Captain Laverne Van oversees it. You know, despite the the article of 30,000 abandoned cars, she does an outstanding job, you know, with the abandoned auto stuff. Would you mind just touching on that for us? Sure. For years and years, when I was in the Public Nuisance Task Force Unit, I worked with the Neighborhood Services Unit. um, And, you know, first of all, no disrespect to any police chief, um, but they've always been understaffed, which I I understand. But, you know, they focus on, again, on those quality of life stuff, whether it's abandoned autos or the one crime that— well, all of them drive me nuts, but the one crime of short dumping. And they used to yeah. be, they had two officers, forgive me, I don't remember their name, but would go out and investigate mm-hmm. um, short dumpers who were dumping tires and trash mm-hmm. and especially would drive me crazy when it would be like out of county, you know, contractors who were dumping here. their trash exactly. here. And it's so wrong and it's so unfair. And so even as I progressed through the office, if I saw a shot, short dumping case, I would always grab it and take it. And I didn't want to waste probation or jail resources. I would make them pay the cost of what it took to, to clean up. And it's just because once you start seeing, once short dumping starts, it explodes, more and more people mm-hmm. start dumping, mm-hmm. and it, it drives me bonkers. You know, 
I, I see, in, I'll say law enforcement, right? So like the prosecution, the probation, uh, police, certainly that whole, the whole realm. We, we, last couple of years, it was like, we're going to focus, this is a national trend, you know, focus on violent crime. That's what we're going to focus our resources on. And it just seems to me, and I could be totally wrong. This is just Matt Gillespie speaking. I'm not speaking as a representative of the department with this. It just seems that like we kind of lost a little focus with that other stuff. Yeah, I think the other stuff, the small, the quality of life stuff and the public nuisance stuff is very important. And, you know, even if somebody, juvenile or adult, gets arrested, say, for graffitiing or whatever, you know, to me, I'd rather do what, I guess, what they say, like, for example, and maybe they do this. I don't know what the DA's mm-hmm. office does now, but like a restorative justice thing. Like, if you want to give them community service, um, have them go back and clean up the graffiti, you know, that they that they did, or, you know, or clean up trash, go back to the neighborhood where you committed this quality of life crime and and clean up with some discussion of maybe community stakeholders to be like, why'd you do that? Because I think accountability is a big thing, you know, and even if they don't end up with a conviction, that's fine, but go back, clean up the mess you made. And I think that could be very effective, um, you know, and especially for juveniles. Look, we don't want, it's such, there's so much violence and, um, you know, and I don't want kids going down the wrong way, but if you'd be like, look, this is what you did, you did wrong, and here's why, and make them go back and face community members and fix it, that'll get into that juvenile's sure. head and be like, all right, you know what, I'm not going to do this next time, um, which sort of leads me into, if I may. Sure. Um, so I, so currently, and I will get to it, I am program director at a small nonprofit, but my parent nonprofit is called Caring People Alliance, um, and it's amazing. We are celebrating our 90th year anniversary, and we have three community centers throughout Philadelphia um, okay. at 1701 North 8th Street off of Cecil B. Moore in North Philadelphia, South Philadelphia at 15th and Porter. And then we currently have one at 35th and Haverford, but we are soon to be opening uh, in the district at 59th and Catherine, the West Philadelphia Boys and Girls Club. In the 18th district. In the 18th district. And we um, offer kindergarten services, after school services. We are affiliated with the Boys and Girls Club of America. We have a fantastic um, team program in our North Philadelphia facility because that those after school hours are so important to keep kids occupied. Um, we have senior programming, so if anybody is interested, it's caringpeoplealliance.org. But the nonprofit that I am a program director of is a small one that affiliated with Caring People Alliance in 2018 called Sholey Turco, and I'll explain that in a minute. So there is this wonderful act called Act 135 in Pennsylvania, which uh, former state rep John Taylor really introduced. It was his baby called the Pennsylvania Abandoned and Blighted Property Conservatorship Act. And what this is, if if a property is, whether industrial, residential, or commercial, is blighted and vacant and fits certain criteria, then um, either a land bank or a government agency or a nonprofit can petition the Philadelphia Court of Common Pleas to be appointed conservator over the property. And and an easy way of thinking that is the babysitter of the property. We don't become owner of it. Um, And if we can prove that it meets these blighted criteria and we're appointed conservator, we rehab them to a clean shell and then we put them for sale at fair market value. Or alternatively, the owner uh, can be given what's called a period of conditional relief where he or she or the the heirs, uh, the estate or an organization mm-hmm. can cure all the L&I violations. And it is an amazing tool. Wow. It wow. is fantastic. So 
you know, I'm thinking of a property that you and I've talked about. Yes. Um, you know, and I don't think there's any kind of malicious intent. It just is the, the owner maybe kind of just lost his or her way with it. You guys step in and essentially you either help fix the property or, or take it over at some point, and then the owner is compensated fairly for that, correct? Of course. So what happens is if um, the court um, permits, and everything is done, it's transparent, okay. everything is done with court oversight, um, no tax dollars are used, we don't charge community groups or residents, but if a property is to go for sale, then we get our legal fees, construction costs back, and 20% of the sale price, and the remainder goes back to the owner or the estate, or if um, they fix up the property, we um, we get 20% over the amount of what it costs them to fix up the property. Now, the owner. Will the owner, does the owner need to get essentially a lawyer? Yes. How our, does that work? Yeah. So our judge is, we, we're in front of a wonderful judge, um, and with it's almost, it's a civil lawsuit. So okay. they are given information as to how to get an attorney, where to go. Um, I'm not sure whether it's the Philadelphia Bar Association Bar Referral Service, or maybe Community Legal Services, mm-hmm. or Volunteer for the Indigents. Um, but it's always important that everybody be sure, represented, sure. And, and that is that is fine by me. And sometimes we settle these cases where we don't even go forward and the owner's like, look, give me a period of time, I'll fix it up, and that's fine. But it's very frustrating for neighbors when they live next to a vacant and blighted property, which I did for 15 years, and finally it's sold before I got into this game. But there's trash, there's vermin, there's, you know, people start gathering. um, Sometimes it's used for prostitution or drugs, Mm -hmm. and it's just so unfair because people just want to live their lives. Um, And if I may, so the nine indicators of blight that we'd like to prove five of them, of a property are it's, it's a public nuisance, which is it could be described as anything. Um, uh, it's a need of substantive re- uh, rehabilitation. It's unfit for human habitation. Uh, it's a fire risk. Could be subject to trespass. It's an attractive nuisance to children. There are vermin, rodents, and vegetation. It affects the economic well-being of properties and businesses nearby, and it's an attractive nuisance for criminal activity. So each property, it's like a fingerprint. Every property is different, um, and then requirements that have to be met before we can proceed is Mm -hmm. the property has to be vacant or not legally occupied for the last 12 months, cannot have been actively marketed for sale in the past 60 days, and cannot be subject of an existing foreclosure action, and it has to be owned by the current owner for at least six months. And, you know, in Philadelphia, you swing a cat, you can find one of these properties. Yeah, and what I tell people all the time um, as a district commander or the cat in the Southwest detectives is, you know, because people would say, well, I don't want to bother the police. I don't want to call you guys for the loud music, the, the, the fight that's not really, like, that bad, but it's at 3 o'clock in the morning. And I say, call us. So we can make the report so agencies like yourselves gets that. Now it's documented, right? Because if it's not documented, it didn't happen. Exactly. And if people want to report um, an abandoned and vacant problematic property, all you have to do is call 311. And all you have to do is contact sholeyturco.org. And I will spell it. That's S C I O L I. T-U-R-C-O dot org. And the name, so Sholi Turco began in, uh, the founder of this was in, I think, um, 2011. Okay. And he it was a developer in, in Philadelphia. And 
And the first property that he tried this, we call them Act 135 Mm -hmm. petition, was a VFW hall that was being used for all kinds of illicit activity. And the name of the uh, the two first World War One vets was Sholey and Turco. Yeah, so that that's that's where that's where it came from. But yeah, we are Sholey Turco. We get all kinds of names, Shirley Turkey, Mm -hmm. but it is Sholey Turkey. And and I like the mission. The mission is like not to put somebody in jail, not to take finances away from somebody. It's to fix the property, improve the neighborhood, and get the people the compensation that they may they may not be able to take care of the property. Yeah, a lot of times it might be an elderly homeowner who lives mm-hmm. elsewhere or is incapacitated, or sometimes people just pass away yeah. and family members yeah. just kind of yeah. like let it go. Or sometimes you will have developers who are just sitting on it, mm-hmm. waiting for prices to go up, yeah. which drives me bananas, out of state owners, which drives me bananas. Mm-hmm. And so I encourage the public, call call 311. All you have to do is give the address to describe, because once L&I goes out and inspects, that helps us bring a case in gotcha. court. So when we go to Kate, uh, when we go to court, um, some of the evidence that we like, we'll have an L&I inspector who went out. Um, what were the violations that you issued? Is the property unsafe? Is it imminently dangerous? Is it just overgrown weeds? Mm-hmm. Is it a fire hazard? Sometimes if there was a fire, we'll get the fire marshal's out, office out. If there is criminal activity there, um, I, will ha- I will subpoena a police officer, the okay. community relations officer. Um, sometimes it might be a representative from the city council office, their constituent services people. Wow. You know, it's creative. And I think because this is not criminal based a lot of times, and it's very effective when we have the neighbors come mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. and testify, because you know what goes on in your block. We all do. Sure. And it's frustrating. And what's really nice about it in this crazy world of COVID, um, they, they're not jury trials. It's just in front of a judge. And everything so far is done via Zoom. Okay. So nobody has to come into the city, Embracing pay technology. for parking. It's, I like it. I like yeah, it. it works out. But the mission of us is to eradicate blight. And, you know, you and I, we heard this term a lot um, just in our field, you know, collaborative. This yes. is actually really a collaborative approach. I mean, elected officials, mm-hmm. L&I, neighbors, police, yeah. to get a solution. Yeah. Know? And sometimes owners, and listen, we're not taking ownership. It's not like eminent domain or okay. forfeiture. We just become the caretaker mm-hmm. of the property, if you will. Yeah. And we don't have enough money to to trick it out, if you will, sure. with marble countertops yeah. and this, that. But we cure all the L&I violations. It might be roof repair, masonry, sometimes foundational work, um, concrete. Sometimes we'll do a little bit of landscaping. Mm-hmm. But it's such a relief for neighbors yeah. um, and sometimes for the homeowner as well. Yeah. Oh, and we've done a couple big um, commercial properties. Sometimes uh, properties are deemed historical, and we'll work the historical commission to make sure we follow, you know, with yeah, whatever historical sure. guidelines. Because you know, Philadelphia has such unique architecture, mm-hmm. and it's so different in every part of the city. Yeah. And um, and in only unless only in a last case scenario will we ever consider demolition. I, I really don't because I don't like it when it's a series of row houses and then one is gone because it, you know it looks like you're missing a tooth, you know. But unless it's unless it's really a public safety issue, we we do our best to avoid demolition. And, and you know what? As a you know, as a captain, as a police department, you know, this is a crime fighting tool to me. Yes. You know what I mean, because when the property's rehabbed, maybe the individuals that would come there and do whatever behaviors they've done, now they're gone. They've moved on, um, and it's it's something that I have actually seen change a neighborhood. Um, if you wouldn't mind, just before we close, um, you know, blight can really affect a neighborhood. 
And, you know, can you just give out the information to contact one last time? Sure, of course. It's Sholi Turco, mm-hmm. S-C-I-O-L-I-T-U-R-C-O.org. Um, and my contact information is on there as well. And all that I need is just an address, and we kind of take it from there. Um, but we're And we're always happy to attend community meetings. I love it. And if anybody has any interest also in the services that Caring People Alliance provides, such as, you know, Philly Pre-K, nursery school, Boys and Girls Club, please check out caringpeoplealliance.org because we are a fantastic organization. And I just, again, want to thank you for having me on. And really great thanks to all the people, everybody in the Philadelphia Police Department because you were part of a wonderful part of my career. Well, Beth Grossman, um, it's my turn to thank you. I mean, over 21 years in in the DA's office, a lot of hard work, you know, keeping the seat, the streets safe. L and I, PPA, and now your current position. Um, I'm not in patrol, so the patrol captains definitely will work with you more. But I'm here if you need anything. Thank you for the time today. I really appreciate it, and uh, I know it's going to make a difference in West Philly. You know what I mean? The West Philly is being is being plagued and challenged with uh, gun violence and these blood issues. So thank you. Thank you.